Terry Lee and the poor boys were asked in the morning to set up their equipment at an armory to perform in a show that evening because Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper had died in a plane crash in Iowa on their way to the Moorhead Armory. Terry Lee, whose real name is Bobby Becker, was told there would be a show anyway with Dion, with Waylon, and local bands, and they would play, including Bobby's band known as Terry Lee and the Poor Boys. He's next on today's podcast, which you can download no matter where you get your podcast and subscribe to our show feed, My First Concert with Dave Lee. Welcome back to my first concert here on the Talk North Podcast Network. Hi, friends. Dave Lee with you. And our show being brought to you by Propane, the environmentally friendly energy for everyone. Brianne is back with us again. Brianne, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, I'm excited to tell you about this next guest. And there's a lot of things that uh, we have to discuss. I'm going to take you back, if you remember, because you're almost probably too young to remember the, the day the music died. But do you remember the Don McLean I've heard of it. I've heard a lot about the day that the music died. And so somebody who was directly involved in that whole story is a guy named Bobby Becker. And Bobby had a band for years up in the Fargo-Moorhead area, Bobby Becker and the Poor Boys. And they were like one of the it bands along with Bobby V. And he is nice enough to join us this morning. He's a longtime friend. Uh, Bobby, thanks for being on the program. Boy, I'm really happy to be here, Dave. Bobby, let me ask you this, though, before we talk about history and music. I want to ask you about the first concert you ever went to. Do you remember what that was? I sure do. I had an idol back then. I I liked all the music people like Rick Nelson, Elvis Presley and everybody. But Gene Vincent was the man that I really idolized. And his first concert that I got to I saw him twice at the Moorhead Armory. The first time in 1956 is when I saw him. And uh, I was able to go backstage and talk to him for about a minute. He allowed me about a minute. And I was so excited that, uh, you know, when you meet a, a, an idol that you just, you know. And anyway, uh, that's how that went. And uh, that was my first concert that I got to go see. Did you model your music after Gene Vincent's style? Yes, I did. I really did. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you're, how, how young were you when you started performing in your band? I, uh, well, we, I actually started in 1952, not in my band. I worked with another, uh, fellow, uh, that was a drummer that dated my sister <laughs> and uh, I played a steel guitar at that time. And, uh, just to give you a quick rundown on it, uh, he asked me to come and do a, a gig with him and I got paid $12 at 12 years old. And I thought <laughs> that was a pretty, pretty great deal. Let me tell you. 12 bucks at 12, and you're playing the steel guitar. Holy smokes, yep. Bobby. That's that's talent. That was my first gig. Man. <laughs> well, then you went on, of course, your band became quite popular up in the Fargo-Moorhead area. And I want to ask you about the Buddy Holly concert that was supposed to be. And, of course, uh, take us through that time because he and the Big Bopper never made it from their Iowa venue. They were supposed to appear. Where were they coming to next, Bob? Well, they were coming to the Moorhead Armory. Uh, to give you a quick story on it. Rod Lucier was the fellow that booked that. And uh, <clears throat> he was managing the poor boys at the time in 1959. And he was working at KVOX radio in Moorhead. And of course, uh, as this uh, went on, 
that airplane, terrible airplane crash that uh, took their lives in, in Iowa. Uh, he was called that morning, which was a Tuesday morning, um, 3rd of February, 59. And he um, was told that they didn't know if they were going to be able to do that gig for the night. It was a two-show uh, gig uh, for them. And what happened is they shortened it down to one. He called me back later on and said, get your stuff and get to the armory and get set up um, that Tuesday night. And it was like about 20 below zero. It was pretty cold. Our amplifiers had uh, tubes in them, so we had to get all our equipment in, uh, as did Bobby V, uh, get them in the armory so they'd warm up before we'd want to turn them on. And uh, that's the way it, it started out. And they just did one show. Uh, and that's how that's how it went. When did you find out about the plane accident? That would have been, uh, well, it was Tuesday morning when we when we found out about it, when they called Rod Lucier and he called me and told me to get ready for it. That's when I found out. And uh, we were all pretty, pretty shook up about, you know, Buddy Holly, Big Bopper and Richie Valens. And uh, Valens, of course, was a new star and he was pretty popular. And uh, it was a it was a uh, I don't know how to explain it. It just was a, a sad situation when we heard about the airplane crash. So they have this concert and you and Bobby V and your bands perform. What was the what was the mood in the auditorium? What was it like? Well, it was it was quite a deal. Uh, I'll go back and tell you what what happened is um, Charlie Boone was the fellow that uh, was asked to MC this show by Rod Lucier, and, and of course he did the MCing that night, and uh, he worked at KFGO, which later became KXGO, and then back to KFGO. And I think you know most about that, Dave, because you worked there yourself. Yes. Yep. But anyway, um, he, he was the fellow that did that. And um, what was that question now again? <laughs> <laughs> I was just asking about the mood of the crowd. What was the atmosphere? Because that, okay. that had to really be uh, different than anything you've ever played, probably at any point. It definitely was. And we were pretty nervous. There was no doubt about that. Uh, what happened is there was a young fellow by the name of Ron Kerber, and he was six and a half years old, and he sang, uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. And that was when the crowd was all out. Now, the Moorhead Armory was fully packed. The fire marshal wouldn't let anybody else into the Moorhead Armory. And um, the balcony was full, and I can still close my eyes and look at that. And there was just crowds of people standing uh, all over the, the, the floor of the auditorium of the armory. And uh, it was um, pretty, uh, pretty. I don't know how to say it, it was pretty silent, but when Ronnie Kerber sang, he's got the whole world in his hands, the old Laurie London hit, the place really kind of changed because that, was, of course, was a, a religious type of a song. And that kind of got the, the thing started, and we went from there. Then did, when, did, when did you play uh, Bobby, and when did Bobby V play? Okay, well, first Ronnie came on and did that little stint, and then Bobby V came on and did his thing, and then we came on and did our, our uh, the Terry Lee and the Poor Boys is who I went by then, and uh, we did our gig. And then following that, um, we had uh, 
a young fellow that was just starting out on ABC Records, and he did uh, he did his uh, his song, and um, and then it went on from there. Then did you get so the show the the fans apparently wanted to be there as a tribute to uh, what had happened, and their the house is so loud. You guys got the really tough job of trying to make sure that everything went well as well as it possibly could have what was the crowd reaction by the end of the night it was quite the deal uh, a lot of the people just kind of hung around for a while you know um and uh eventually everybody poured out of the armory and left but uh, there was a lot of people that came up and talked to all of us people uh um, that um were there uh, frankie sardo was the one i was talking about saying is oh what a fake out Dion DeMusi was also uh, the fellow that ended it. Uh, Waylon Jennings was there, too. He was the bass player um, for the crickets at the time because there was a problem between the original crickets and uh, with Buddy Holly. They had some kind of a, a problem. And so we had uh, one of the fellows that did the drumming was uh, with Dion. So it was kind of a makeshift. Everybody kind of did the best to make shift for that night. And those artists were very shook up. I'll tell you that right now. All of them, Dion, Frankie Sardo, Waylon Jennings and all that. When the song American Pie by Don McLean came out in 1972 or three, uh, Bob, did you pick up on the lyrics on that right away? Did you know what that was about? Uh, yeah, I guess I kind of did. I, I guess I did. Um, when that did come out, it, um, the day the music died, you know. Uh, yeah. That was always this, what everybody talked about, the day the music died. And and um, it was especially for those three artists and for a lot of the people that were singing at that particular time, uh, you know, in 1959, 60, in that area. You would come out, as I re recollect, Bobby, now this is a deep track, correct me if I'm wrong, because that happens a fair amount, was it Restless River that charted your song? Yeah, we uh, we did. We went down to uh, Nashville. Uh, Lynn, Lynn Anderson's mother, Liz Anderson and Casey Anderson, I got to meet them through KFGO when I was doing my air shift there. And uh, we got to be good friends. She wrote some songs and I said, well, I'd like to do a, a, a gig, you know, a recording. And they, they lined it all up for me, wrote the songs got it all lined up and we Jimmy Erickson the drummer in my band for 31 years and myself drove down to Nashville we stayed with Liz and Casey in their brand new home there in Hendersonville Tennessee and we went in and recorded right in the old studio B at RCA Victor Records and boy that was really something for for Jimmy and I these two Fargo Moorhead boys that that got to be in the lights in Nashville I'll never forget that that was really, really a, a, a fun time and a real blessing for us. And Bobby V and you were longtime friends in the rock and roll world. Yes, we were. We both played, of course, at the Moorhead Army in 1959, February 3rd. And Bobby would go on to have a great career. Bobby did well. You know, I've, I've often thought about that, how I was so happy that that he was able to to get to where he got because Bobby was just a real down-home uh, boy. He, he's just a great kid. I mean, and I can remember that back when we played at the Armory. He's just a super dude. 
And uh, it's just kind of fun to see how that all went for him. You know, I look back on and I'm glad that he got that gig to go because I wouldn't have been, you know, Dave, I wouldn't have been able to handle that. I'm a hometown boy and uh, I couldn't be traveling to Australia and to England and that. I had, I won a trip to go to uh, England and I sold it because I'm just not a traveler. I'd never been that way. So I'm glad Bobby got the gig there because he did just wonderful. And I was able to follow that. Of course, I have a lot of his records and, and through the years of being in the radio business and uh, uh, I couldn't have asked better. In fact, the only two times we worked together was uh, at the Moorhead Armory and it was, I think, in 1969, no, it was 1974, I think it was in that era there. We got to play together at a gig for a uh, class reunion and uh, Terry Lee and the Poor Boys, myself, Bob Becker, we got to open for Bobby and that was a thrill for me. You appeared when you were in Fargo-Moorhead. There was a place that I've heard of that was kind of the spot to be booked called the Crystal Ballroom. Yeah, that's that's quite a that's quite a uh, situation. Are you ready for the story or do you want to do a commercial? <laughs> you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. I do. I, I want to mention the show this morning is being brought to you by uh, – propane, the environmentally friendly energy for everyone. And we're all talking about reducing carbon emissions. It is good for everyone. But the question is really, how are we reducing these emissions? And yet we have to meet this world's increasing energy needs. Well, propane is what I want to tell you about, because it's an excellent way to reduce emissions. And yet it meets energy needs today. Now, propane is a clean, non-toxic energy source, by the way, that helps reduce carbon emissions right now. In fact, Propane's carbon intensity score, and you may not know about carbon intensity scores, but they're out there, but this will help highlight more about propane because there is a carbon intensity score in Minnesota. Their propane score is 80. Grid electricity in Minnesota, which we all know about, including wind and solar, has a much higher carbon intensity score of 136. Isn't that something? Who knew that using propane was that much cleaner then electricity, plus the abundance of propane and the growth of renewable propane means it can be used for generations to come. Millions of Americans, we rely on propane to heat homes, businesses, fuel vehicles on road and off for some of us and much more, making propane the right energy right now. So find out more about what propane can do for you. You may not know and learn about the environment by going to propane.com. Bobby, uh, you uh, met a lot of people through the years. You played with a lot of people. Uh, you were kind of one of the bands back in the day when, uh, you know, that's uh, we had AM radio and that's all we heard, and you were just kind of one of the guys. You had a young man from uh, Duluth come down and play with you. Can you tell us a bit about that and the Crystal Ballroom? Yeah, that, that was quite a deal, too. Uh, we um, uh, had a, a friend by the name of Ron Jolson, and I— uh, Bob Zimmerman stayed with him uh, for a while in Fargo. And everybody at that time would have liked to have a piano player in their band. Piano players were hard to get at that time. Um, you know, we're talking about <laughs> night 59 in area 60. Anyway, um, we uh, he called me up one day. He says, I got a fellow that came up from the Duluth area and uh, hibbing and everything. And, and anyway, he said, uh, why don't you use them in the piano? 
And I said, well, let's give it a try. Well, the deal was we were the first established rock and roll band in the 50s, 60s music in Fargo-Moorhead. And uh, we were uh, playing for Doc Chin, who was the fellow that ran the Crystal Ballroom. And Doc was quite the guy. Uh, he did not like rock and roll music <laughs> because he had he, he had booked all these great bands in uh, and uh, polka bands. Uh, and uh, uh, it was just that was his music and he didn't care for uh, the rock and roll. But anyway, he booked us because it was the coming thing. Some of the big bands were kind of slowly moving out, um, you know, of popularity. And sure. um, us groups were, were the people that were doing it at the time. So we booked us in there and we didn't get a chance to uh, audition Bobby. And so he played with us the first night. It was a Saturday night at the uh, Crystal Ballroom. And um, Bob only played piano in the key of uh, C and a little bit in the key of A. And uh, he did uh, sing a couple of tunes. And it, it went fairly good, uh, I thought. But uh, Doc Chin didn't think it went so well. And anyway, uh, Bob Zimmerman ended up being Bob Dylan, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, um, he got that later on, but he was uh, he was uh, Bob Zimmerman, and he used an alias called Elston Gunn with three N's. I was going to say, then did, did, didn't uh, Bob or Elston Gunn play for Bobby V? Yes, I was just going to tell you that. He went to uh, uh, work, Bobby V hired him, and then he went down to the cities. I think he had a, a brother that had a farm in that area. And then, of course, on to the village, and that's where he became Bob Dylan. Yeah, and the rest is musical history. It sure is. Going back to that concert, uh, The Day the Music Died, uh, Bob, I mean, mm -hmm. did you get a chance to talk to Dion and Waylon and Frankie, and, and, and did, they, did they all struggle to try to do the concert? Was it hard for anybody to commit? I mean, when, when you first were asked to do that concert, did you say, oh, man, I don't know? Uh, no, um, because Charlie Boone and Rod had put on their radio shows, we need some help for this. And they put out a, oh, that's how Ronnie Kerber got in. His dad heard him and brought him over. Oh. They put out a thing. If there's any bands that would like to play to this, they can, you know, come over there and, and uh, call us and we'll we'll get you lined up. And that's how Bobby V got in there. We got in because Rod Lucier was our manager and he told us after he found out the show was going to go on that we should be there. He says, get your stuff packed up and get over to the Armory. Did you get a chance to talk to Dion? He must have been huge at the time too, wasn't he? You know, I'll tell you what. I said hello to Dion and he didn't even say hi back. <laughs> uh, it was, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, we were all kind of uh, uh, Waylon. I should say, yeah, Waylon. I, I talked to him for about, I'd say a minute, minute and a half. And he was very cordial, but he was really upset, too. They were all really upset. Oh, it had to be, yeah. Um, yeah, as far as uh, that goes, the other musicians kind of stayed to themselves. I mean, we were just a local band. You know, they didn't even know Bobby V was going to make it big time. You know what I mean? Yep. We were just Fargo-Moorhead people. And uh, uh, they didn't, you know, like I say, Waylon was the only person that ever talked to me. And, of course, then I got into country radio at 
KFCO and played his music and always thought well of him because he was the only guy that really visited with me that night. Yeah, yeah, a, a, a really unusual night. It had to be for everybody involved. And is your mu- Bob, are you still playing at all? No, no, I'm I'm 100% retired. Okay. Is that tough? Uh, no, not really, because I, I'll be 82 in, Je- in July, and I'm up at the point where I have some arthritis and stuff, and, and uh, my fingers, I can't even play the guitar anymore, to be honest with you, Dave. Well, that, yeah, that's that's disappointing, because you were such a great guitar player through the years, but what a beautiful talent, you were blessed with a lot of talent, so you had someone hey, watching let, over you. Let me tell you, the good Lord has blessed me big time, period. Yeah, well... And then, uh, well, Bob, I appreciate you joining us here on the show today. It's an it's a part of rock and roll history that people may not be aware of. That that, that night that you guys came in and and uh, did the show, despite the circumstances, which it couldn't have been much worse. I I have put up pictures of Bobby and me uh, that were taken by. We got them years and years later. We got pictures of us at the Mord Armory, so I put them up on my Facebook and. Uh, 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 both Bobby and, and uh, our group and uh, and even um, I didn't have any pictures of Ronnie Kerber. He was, like I say, six and a half years old. But singing that Laurie London song and he's got the whole world in our hands. I want to tell you that did make a little bit of difference that night to see this little kid get up there and sing that song um, because the crowd, I, it, it was really a different crowd. Yeah, uh, they were laid. They was it was a laid back crowd, but after they did that, the people clapped uh, and were happy to hear him sing that song, and then things started rolling for Bobby V and for us and for the rest of the people. Yeah, and the rest is history. Through yep. your through your years, were there any? Any, because you played a lot of music as a disc jockey, and of course you're out there at night working all the clubs. Were there any bands that, uh, outside of what we chatted about here today, any performers, any bands that you really were impressed with? Well, yeah, you know, I actually worked with a uh, uh, Steve Rowe and the Furies after the Poor Boys broke up. Uh, uh, two of uh, the bass player and the lead guitar player both went into the United States Marine Corps, and then our I had a couple of people help me out, uh, and then uh, I worked. Uh, Steve Rowe and the Furies called me and asked if I would work with them, and that was really a lot of fun. We had a piano player from Louisiana. I learned a lot of blues music from him um, in 1960, and uh, that was really a, a, a cool deal. We, we, that helped me a lot in getting into blues bands. But a lot of groups, uh, I didn't get to see a lot of groups uh, in, in concerts because we were playing all the time and I was working and I was working two, three jobs all the time, all my life, enjoying all three of them, two and three of them. You understand what I mean? Yep. But um, I didn't get to see uh, too many groups, but Credence was one group that I really liked. Uh, um, bought some of their records, and uh, that was a, a group that stands out to me, Credence Clearwater. I, I thought they kind of sounded like the bands did back in the old days, you know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, yeah, and they could, uh, the Fogarty and the gang, they could play the guitar and everything else. Yeah, that's right, Bob. That, that lifestyle of a musician is you're busy. You're, you're doing your own thing, and it, you don't get a chance to go to the concerts uh, like the rest of us uh, did. But um, 
it was uh, good that uh, you got a chance to uh, see Gene Vincent. Yes. <laughs> really, I got to see him two times at the Mord Armory. And and uh, I'll tell you, he was so talented that, uh, you know, Elvis was a great singer, don't get me wrong. But Vincent sang a whole different ball game. He he could do anything with his voice, um, really. He could sing all kinds of different tunes. And that voice was just beautiful. Yeah. Well, and of course, you had a chance to play those albums back in the day. And, and I'm surprised to hear you say that you actually bought albums, because if I remember playing radio uh, all those years, you got a lot of free music. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I was music director at, yeah. at the radio station, you know, uh, Donnie Roberts. You remember Donnie Roberts? Yep. Brown boy. Don Formanac. Yep. Uh, he and I, in fact, I got him into KFGO back in the late 60s. That's how he got his first gig at, at KFGO. And uh, he was music director, and then I became music director. And I actually hold a record there at that radio station. I've been there six times in my lifetime, six different times. Well, oh, they was they really like you, you, uh, you know. <laughs> well, That's the name. But it was a, let me tell you, it was a lot of fun working with you. When you left KFTO and went to CCO, it was kind of a downer for me because you were you were the man back then. Let me tell you. Well, we were buddies, and I'll tell you something. And Brianne is here with me, so Brianne, when Bobby would play some nights, and I was, I so I I went from Grand Forks to Fargo. I went from eleven from college from eleven thousand five hundred year to twelve thousand year in Fargo. Except Ooh, I had to take the overnight shift, right? But five hundred dollars more a year was a big deal, absolutely. So, in at working overnights, midnight to six at that time, I try to be creative and try to think of things to do and I'd do bits and I take risks. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things we did is we'd have, I got a grill and we'd grill out in the parking lot of the radio station and the, uh, that's a good bit. <laughs> we people, the band would come over. Some of the uh, law enforcement officers come over. We had all sorts of different people coming over. Bobby, remember that we'd barbecue about two in the morning. Yep. <laughs> and I'd have to go back on the air, but I'd come out in the parking lot and have something to eat and, uh, maybe have a you know a pop or something, and then right back on the air. But that I could grab a Rex Allen Jr.'s "Ride Cowboy Ride" song. Remember that thing went for about yes, I, you know. I sure do. That was like Led Zeppelin "Stairway to Heaven." You knew the DJ was up to something when those long records started getting played. <laughs> well, that was bathroom time too back in the old days. <laughs> oh yeah, it was a lot of different things that happened during the yeah because yeah "Stairway to Heaven" was one of the great ones. Although we didn't play that, that was but if when you did play rock and roll, that those were the kind of songs, Brianna and I. I don't mean to lead you down a bad path here, but it, you know, it just it gave you time to go I can do get something. Some ideas, absolutely. Yeah. So you could go out in the parking <laughs> lot and BS with everybody out there at two a.m. So, well, all right, Bobby, thanks so much. It's great hearing your voice. You're part of rock and roll history. I appreciate you sharing all of that, and it, it's just, it's just, it's just great talking. You're one of the great people uh, that the good Lord blessed us with. I want to thank you for even thinking about uh, giving me a call here and we were able to do this uh, this uh, interview because uh, it's fun doing it with, I guess I could kind of call you a radio idol too, you know that? You're just a, a great guy. And uh, it was so much fun working with you in the old days, let me tell you. Well, Bob, you're, it's great having you share the story. I want to thank you for joining us here on Talk North Podcast Network. My first concert 
uh, with Brianne and, and Dave here. And uh, we're back next week with another episode. And we appreciate that. And if you decide that you have some great stories you'd like to share with us, let us know. We'd love to hear them. Maybe have you a guest on one of the shows. And our thanks to Propane, the environmentally friendly energy for everyone for bringing us the show here on Talk North Podcast Network.